Wow. A really bleak song, isn't it? That is the passage that I want to bring to us this morning. I'd like to take a moment to pray before I, I begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come before you this morning, and we ask that you would open our eyes uh, to your word. Lord, we pray that uh, you, would, you would change our hearts, uh, that you would be working in our hearts to know you. Lord, that it wouldn't just be knowing you, but that we would be following you also. Lord, I pray that you would use me this morning to minister to all of us here, and that uh, people would not look to me, but they would look to Christ. Father, if there's anything I say that is untrue, uh, I pray that you would give people dull ears uh, to that. But that which is true, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears. We thank you for this opportunity that we have together uh, to look to you. In Christ's name, amen. I uh, <clears throat> remember a while back going through a really uh, difficult time. And somebody came to me. And they said, you know, you should read these various psalms. And one of those psalms was uh, Psalm 88. And I remember reading this psalm and thinking, how is this helpful? And, you know, when you look over this past year and uh, what, what kind of experiences have you had? Uh, have you had... Has this past year been a, a year of joy? Has this past year been a year full of sorrow? Have you had lots of anxiety this past year? Maybe this past year has been a combination of all of these things. And my, my hope is that when we look at the psalm together this morning, that we will be reminded of the difficulties we will certainly face uh, but that we will see that Christ is always there with us. And this psalm is different than all the other psalms of lament. So this psalm is a psalm of lament, but it's different than all the other ones. Because all the other psalms of lament, they always end in praise. But as we read, this psalm does not. This psalm is in a psalm of anguish and despair. And when you finish reading the psalm, you, you feel as if, there's no hope. But, in, and if you just kind of glance over the psalm, you would probably think that the, the psalmist here is off his rocker. What was he thinking? But if you look closer at the psalm, you will see that there is great hope for all of us. And we will see that what kind of hope this is that comes to us. You know, probably if, if you've never gone through some great difficulty in life, uh, you will. Or you know somebody who has or is going through uh, a great difficulties. And this psalm can help you understand that person's suffering and how in Christ we, we do have comfort. This psalm does not answer the questions of why am I suffering, but rather it is a psalm of comfort because we see a real person grappling with real issues of the questions of pain 
and they bring it to the Lord. And this psalm teaches us that there's not some easy fix to our problems and emotions in life, but that these issues that we face are real today. And it's okay to tell God how we are feeling. John Calvin says, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. There is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn all the griefs Sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, complexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men's of men are wont to be agitated. So there's there's three things I want to look at this morning. One, I want to look at come to God in your suffering. Two, God hears us in our suffering. And three, Christ knows our suffering. So if we look, we see that the person who wrote this psalm is a man by the name of Haman. He's the Ezraite. And he was appointed by David uh, to be in charge of music in the house of the Lord before Solomon built the tabernacle, built the temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles 6.31, it tells us about Haman. Then in 1 Kings uh, 4.31, Solomon is compared to the wisdom of several men. And one of those men is this guy, Haman. So if Solomon, Solomon's wisdom is being compared to this guy, then we have to assume that this man mentioned was also very wise and God-fearing. And yet this man experienced this great trial. We see in verses 1 through 2, he says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. The psalmist knows here that the only way that help can come to him is through the Lord. And he beseeches the Lord. He says, the God of my salvation. He, he asks the Lord to, to listen to his cries. And although the psalmist will go on to describe the kind of suffering he's experiencing, we, we must recognize that he sees the Lord as the only one that can help him. And that is why he comes to the Lord. You know, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I know about me. And I'm reminded here of when I go through trials and hardships and what my response is. Typically, the first thing I do when I experience a trial or hardship is I look to try and correct correct it on my own. I immediately find things or people that can help me uh, fix whatever this hardship is, and I only go to God as the last resort. I use God as my get-out-of-jail-free card, or in this case, my get-out-of-trial card. And perhaps sometimes the one of the reasons we don't go to God first in our difficulties is because there's sin in our lives. And 
we don't want to confess that to the Lord. We would rather wallow in our own sin and misery than confess it to the Lord. Because honestly, it's painful, is it not? It's painful to confess your sin. But God wants us to come to him. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, 7, Peter writes, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When someone comes to me with a problem, typically the first thing I do is I look to see if they're sinning or living in sin. And as long as they are living in sin, things will not get better for them. They won't be able to rest in the Lord. And then we have to ask ourselves if the reason we are going through this hardship, this trial, is it a direct result of our sin or not? And if you look at verse 7, the psalmist writes, Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. We get a a real sense here, don't we, that that God of of discipline on, on the psalmist, that It is a direct result of sin. But I want us to be careful here. The the psalmist uses the word wrath, and I don't want us to confuse discipline with wrath. You know, God's wrath is for the unsaved. God disciplines those he loves. The psalmist here is describing what he feels like. He feels like this is God's wrath. But we know, don't we, that the psalmist does rest in the Lord. God's wrath, right, was poured out on Christ so that we who are believers would not experience his wrath, but his love. It, yes, God does discipline those he loves. And what what does this discipline look like to us, his children? Well, it could be the simple thing as God convicting you in your heart of your sin. Or it could be God using people around you to, to speak into your life. Or it could even look like God removing things out of your life so that you come to him. And if you are God's child, he will do whatever it takes uh, to bring you back to him. I have heard of of Christians uh, who have stopped following God, and they have lost everything. They lost their their church, their family, their children, their jobs. It was all because of sin. However, God removed those things from them, from that person, so that they would come back to him. In verses 3 through 9, it really describes to us, doesn't it, of somebody who is suffering? Look with me. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. So this trial this guy is going through, it's sapping all his energy. I am like, 
like one let loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Now he's comparing himself to, to dead people. He feels like a, a dead person. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Dark, he can't see. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. Have you ever been to the ocean when the waves are really big and powerful? If you're like me, I, I love the ocean. I love surfing and swimming out in the ocean. But sometimes the waves are so big, crashing in, that... I, I can't get out there. I can't get out to, to where it's more calm and where I can rest. And that's what he's describing here, that the waves are just, they're crashing over him. And he, he can't get anywhere. He can't go. And then he says that you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. So whatever trial this the psalmist is going through, it's so bad that his friends don't even want to look at him. And then he says, my, my eye, or, or he says, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. His eyes grow dim with sorrow because he's weeping. Have you ever wept so much before that when you open your eyes, everything's just blurry? They're dim. You've lost that that glow in your eyes. That is what he's describing here. He's describing somebody who seems to have lost everything. You guys remember several years ago when our economy took the biggest nosedive uh, since the Great Depression. And people had invested everything in the stock markets and when the stock market crashed, they lost all their assets. People lost their retirement. People lost their jobs and so many other things. And I heard that there were men and women that were actually committing suicide because they had lost everything. How tragic it was that they felt like their identity was wrapped up in materialism. But there is a difference between a non-Christian who has lost everything and a Christian who has lost everything. A few years back, when Crystal and I first got married, we went to Africa to work with uh, Sudanese refugees. And in Sudan, there's been persecution of the church for, for many years now. And the Sudanese Christians, they, they flee Sudan and they go into the surrounding countries. And so our role that summer was to just work with these Sudanese refugees. And I remember hearing some of their stories of how their villages would get bombed and, and how their, their entire family was, was dead, that they had lost their mom, their dad, their wife, their kids. They lost their home. They lost every possession that they had. And yet when you talk to them, they had hope. You could see it. They found joy in Christ. And this morning, I don't know your story. I don't know necessarily what you're dealing with or what you might be struggling with. Perhaps some of you feel as though you are suffering, just like this psalmist describes here. Perhaps some of you even suffer from a terminal illness or you know somebody 
who does. But like the psalmist, we know who God is, which is why we can go to God. We can beseech God. And no matter how dismal our circumstances are, we can come to God in our suffering, just as this psalmist does. He beseeches God, and God hears him in his suffering, and God hears us in our suffering. In verses 9 and 13, the psalmist says that, I spread out my hands to you, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. You see, the psalmist recognizes that it's only God that can help him. And he reminds us that we must continually beseech the Lord, right? He is going day and night. He is beseeching the Lord. And then if we move on and we look at verses 10 through 12, he writes, Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon or destruction? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of the forgetfulness? So the psalmist here sets out a series of questions before the Lord. But these are kind of open-ended questions. He's not looking for an answer. But rather, he is sharing with the Lord how he feels he is almost trying to, to, to see if the Lord is there to hear him because he feels utterly alone. This is how he feels. He feels alone. Have you, have you ever felt this way before? I know I have. I have felt like the Lord was not listening, which is what verse 14 says. He says, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me. He feels as though the Lord is not listening. A few years back, we were in Thailand, uh, I think it was 2008 or 2009, and we were, or I was, up in the northern Thailand, in the mountains, out in the middle of nowhere, preaching and teaching in the Karen villages. Some of these villages are so remote that it takes days to get to. Now, I didn't go to those villages, but I was really far out there. And I was with a, a, a Karen man named Buntu, who kind of oversees all the, the Christian villages, all the churches in that area. And so it was a Sunday night, and I, was, I had just finished preaching, I think, for the third time. About 9.30 at night. And just then, this teenager walks in through the back doors carrying this two-year-old boy who is unconscious. This child has, had had diarrhea for three days. And so he was completely dehydrated. And he had passed out. He was unconscious. So this turns out that this child was, is the pastor's son of this church. Buntu turns to me and he says, we need to get this child to the hospital, like now. 
And Funchu was the only one around for miles that had a vehicle. It was a, a four-door pickup truck. And so we all piled into this truck, and we began driving through the mountains as fast as we could go because this child was dying. And I'll never forget how scared I was. It was the, one of the most scariest moments in my life because we were driving so fast on these narrow dirt roads on these switchbacks. As we'd go around the bend, the back of the truck would fishtail, and if it went too far, we would fall, plummet to our deaths. I was so afraid. And I was also afraid because I thought, this child is going to die, and then what? And I remember feeling like, like God wasn't there. God was not listening. And I felt like my faith is so weak, and if I could just get on my phone and call our supporters back in America and have them pray for my faith and for this child, things would be okay. But I couldn't because I had no cell phone service. And I remember as we were driving, hearing the mother start calling her son's name. And I think this child has died. He's, he's gone. But he hadn't died. And we got to this clinic about three hours away. They immediately got an IV in this child's arm, and he revived. And he lived. The doctor told us that if we had tried to get to the city, that the child would have died for sure. So it was about a week later, I was talking to my mom and telling her this story. She got so excited because she said that Sunday morning, so Thailand is 12 hours ahead. So 9.30 at night in Thailand, it's 9.30 in the morning here. She got so excited because she said at 9.30 in the morning at Pinewood, Andrew Lamb, during the pastoral prayer, was praying specifically for you. You see, I felt like God wasn't listening, but God was listening. In fact, God had gone before me and orchestrated it so that Andrew would be praying for us at that very moment. How amazing that is. Now, although this psalm seems so bleak, we know that God is listening. You know, it, if God wasn't listening to the psalmist, why in the world would he beseech the Lord? He beseeches the Lord because he knows that God is listening to him. He knows that the Lord hears him, which is why he cries out to him. Have you ever gone through just great suffering and you just need somebody to sit there and listen to you while you cry? You're not looking for an answer from the person. You just want their presence to be there with you. And this is the psalmist here. He, he is crying. He's suffering. And he wants to be able to share his heart with the Lord, which is exactly what he does in the psalm. And this shows us two things. One, it shows us that we can be honest with God. We can share with God exactly how we feel. And sometimes as Christians, and I deal with this, I, I see God as so holy and so separate that if I were to really share with God what I'm feeling and thinking, that he's going to destroy me with fire and brimstone. 
God loves us, and he wants to hear us. And God already knows our hearts, right? In, in Job, uh, his friends tell him, right, that just curse God and die. And I want you to understand that sharing to God your emotions, your feelings, is not the same thing as cursing God. Second, the psalm teaches us how we might be a better listener to those who are in anguish, who are suffering, who are struggling. If you're like me, I'm always quick to, to give an answer, to try and solve the problem. I'm a problem solver. But sometimes that's not what that person needs. They need somebody to just sit there and listen to them, to, to empathize with them. I'll never forget back in high school when I went on a short-term mission trip to Russia. And while I was in Russia, I got this telegram that a friend of mine in America had been murdered. And that just that news just ripped at my heart. And I, re I remember staggering down the dormitory hall where we were staying, just, just weeping. And my friend Alex came out of his room. And he saw me just crying, and he walked over to me, and he hugged me as I wept. He had no idea what was wrong, but he knew that I needed him next to me. He saw that I was in great anguish, and he knew that I just needed his presence. It, reading the psalm, you, you become more aware of what of the emotions that, that people feel and what they go through when they experience hardships and trials. And you can learn to just sit and listen to them. The truth is, for us as Christians, is that Christ is always there with us, that we are not alone, that Christ is always there listening to us. He knows our suffering better than anybody else could. Which brings us to our third point. Christ knows our suffering. Verse 18 says, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. In humanly standards, when we look at Christ... When Jesus needed his companions the most, they all deserted him. He needed them to pray and keep watch, and they couldn't keep their eyes open. When he was arrested, they all fled. When he hung on the cross alone, Jesus himself said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think Christ knows what you go through? Of course he does. Can Christ relate to you? Of course he can. There is nothing we can ever come across in this life that Christ himself has not experienced. Listen to these verses that talk about what Christ has experienced for us. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. 
Christ says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And Mark, and they all left him and fled. And in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood. Christ said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Isaiah, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Although this psalm seems so bleak, we know that Christ went through greater anguish than the psalmist. Christ went through greater anguish than we ever could experience. (coughs) And he knows exactly how we feel. So there are two more things that this psalm does for us. One is it shows us how we can pray to the Lord in our suffering. This psalm is a prayer. And when I think back two years ago when I was going through some really hard times and that person told me, hey, you know, read Psalm 88. In some of the other psalms of lament, the reason he told me to read those is because I didn't know how to pray. But looking at this, reading this psalm, the psalm is a prayer. And as you go through difficult times, you can read the psalm as a prayer. This is a prayer to the Lord. And two, it also shows you how you can help others in their anguish and how you can pray for others in their anguish. Because the psalm teaches you, it it describes to you, doesn't it? Just the, the difficult things that the emotions that people go through, that they feel as they're going through such hard times. Does this psalm now give you hope? I pray it does. As, as a missionary overseas, life can be really difficult. But not just for a missionary, for all of us. We have all been called to serve the Lord. And so whatever capacity that is, whether it's at school, at work, just out playing golf, doing the day-to-day things, when we are in the trenches of ministry, which all of us are or should be, it can be so difficult. But what is amazing is that Christ has gone before us. And so when life is so difficult, we can come to the psalm and we can read the psalm as a prayer to beseech the Lord. And Christ knows exactly what you're going through. Christ knows that the trial, the hardship, and Christ is there to love you and encourage you, and to lift you up. When you despair, read the psalm, and remember that Christ is there with you, and you do not go through it alone. In fact, you are able to go through it because Christ has already gone through it for you. I'm reminded of two passages that speak to this in a way, uh, and one is Deuteronomy 33.12, which says, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. How amazing it is to be called the Lord's beloved. And this happens not because of what we have done, but because what Christ has done and has called us unto himself. 
so that now the Father calls us beloved. So when we are in anguish, remember that, right? The Lord calls us his beloved, which just like the psalmist who beseeches the Lord, we beseech the Lord because we are God's beloved. The second passage is Romans 8, 15 through 17, which says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So not only are you God's beloved, but you are God's son and daughter. And we are told to call him daddy. That the word Abba is daddy. And that intimacy that Christ experiences with the father, we too experience. So when you look at Psalm 88, and it says, oh, Lord, you, you could substitute daddy, God of my salvation. Daddy, for my soul is full of troubles. Daddy, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. Daddy, I am a man who has no strength. Daddy, my eyes grow dim through sorrow. Daddy, I spread out my hands to you. Daddy, I cry to you. This is Psalm. 88, the Lord loves us. We are his beloved, and we are to call him daddy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are your beloved. We are your children. And when we go through difficult times and hardships, we can come and cry out to you, and you hear us. You love us. You have sent yourself to die for us, to experience all the pain and suffering and anguish more than we could ever experience. And you did it because you love us. And Lord, it's not just a a prayer for us, but it's a prayer for others as well. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be empathetic to those who are suffering, that we can come alongside of them and we can share in their sufferings and we can pray this psalm with them. We thank you, Lord, for your word and how it is reviving to our souls, even in those times of difficulty. (coughs) Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Christ's name, amen.